Welcome to Recommended we- Reading with Jackson Heyman, um, the podcast where the two hosts delay the recording start to talk about Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> I was forced to do it. Uh, this was against my will. Please send help. But welcome to the month of May for this podcast, or as we call it here, X Month. Now, well, you've you've seen about six months of episodes at this point, four or five, six months. And besides that one time we talked about Nightcrawler, you haven't seen a lot of the X-Men. And I love the X-Men. So, but, so why is that? Because I've been saving it for this month, everyone. So I want to explain the purpose of this. This month and for every May that I continue to do this podcast, I will be looking at a different era of the X-Men and finding some of the most important, most significant, some of the strangest stories from each of those eras. Because I read a lot of comics, but and I love the X-Men, but there are eras that I don't know much about. And I think that's true for any character for any comic fan. And I just wanted to use this month every year to sit down with other people who love the X-Men and love mutants and love Marvel's weirdest group of characters and explore the origins, the developments, and what they're up to in the future. But even then, we'll get to the Hickman era in like... Five, six years, maybe? I don't know. And so maybe that won't be the modern era anymore. This is just going to be a continuous uh, Sisyphean rolling the boulder up the hill until they stop caring about the X-Men, which they never will. Joining me for this first edition of X-Month is... You saw them recently in the most chaotic episode we've released so far. I don't know. I haven't edited yet. Edited yet. We're recording this in March. <laughs> it's Cena Bowles. I uh, name Cena Bowles. You can find me. Do I do a plug now? Can if I? You, if, if you'd like to plug, sure. Why not? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and most other social medias at Kugrash K U G R A S H. Um, I've known. Jackson for almost three years now. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> which is wild to me that I had that thought recently. Uh, oh my god. November, is, November is three years for the game, but we met a couple months prior through uh, the No Context account. Should I... You know, there are going to be people who listen to this and people who don't understand what we're talking about. Absolutely not. For about, from like the summer of 2019 to like late summer of 2020, that's when I kept it the most active. I ran the uh, No Context Dimension 20 Twitter account, and this is the first time I've ever publicly said this. (laughs) Well... (laughs) Glad to be the one. You know, I feel that's almost topical that I'm, you know, outing you as the Dimension 20 no context account runner, uh, considering this is X-Men and it is the core X-Men that we're talking about. And 
well, it's in a later edition with the original X-Men of a certain scene with Jean Grey and Bobby Drake. Oh, you mean Shrug? Shrug. We don't have time to talk... We don't have time to talk about the all-new X-Men here. God. I, I never want to talk about all-new X-Men if I'm being fully honest. Okay. Um, for the listeners, um, straight up, there is an era we will not be covering in this years-long project, and that is the post-Siege, post-Avengers versus X-Men. No, because I do want to talk about Wolverine and the X-Men. We're not going to talk about... Hank McCoy's weird plan to make the X-Men like each other by bringing the time-displaced first class to the modern day. Yeah, it is so bad all around. Like, that era, not from all-new X-Men, but that era of other things going on, era of comics, I'll, I'll say that there are good things during that era. Couldn't tell you any of them right now because my brain has fully wiped a lot of it from, you know, memory. But all new X-Men, the things I do remember about it are so bad. Uh, well, I mean, you got the aforementioned Gene and Bobby, um, that. I, oh, God. And um, you got everyone just hating present day Beast for <laughs> every, you know, it's warranted. Because, you know, modern day Beast, he, he is always sort of like the devil's advocate to whatever awful plan he has in his head. Yeah. Because this reminds me of something. Um, so current Hickman, Krakoa era X, X-Men, Beast is in charge of X-Force, which, strange, but, um, it's, but it's basically become like, Krakoa's paramilitary security team. And I think Beast may have committed some war crimes. I'm not fully caught up, but... Uh, Who hasn't in their time? I mean, really. <laughs> it's the X-Men. At least everyone has committed one war crime at some point. They are a sovereign nation now. They can <laughs> do whatever they want. They are technically... <laughs> even or just off the coast, is international waters. <laughs> but funny, oh God. funny you should say about, like, good stuff happening in that weird 2008 to, like, 2014, 15 era of comics. Like, specifically Marvel, because, like, I think a lot of people tend to remember the really, really good stuff and the really bad stuff. Because, yeah. like, because that's the era we get, like, Fraction and Aja Hawkeye. Um, mm -hmm. We get some really good other just lesser focused Marvel characters getting, like, some really good runs by very talented people. Um, speaking of which, I, but then you also get, like, the weird, awful, awful, awful events, like Original Sin and oh. Axis. It it was such a weird time because it was like, it it was it was post two thousand twelve. It was like twenty. I may have started two thousand twelve, but it was like twenty thirteen. I think through to fifteen sixteen at the latest. I'm not looking it up right now, because uh, that was the whole Marvel Now rebrand where it was like Marvel a relaunch of 
all of their title, like their big titles, because they were trying to bring in all of the MCU fans. So a lot of the stories were changing to be more MCU flavored, which did suck a lot. And it did not last, like it did, I want to believe overall Marvel now didn't go very well, but I will admittedly say the talent used, not necessarily... I'm honestly praising the art more. They had a lot of good artists at this time, where they had terrible stories being drawn beautifully. And I think there are, like, you do find some diamonds in the rough, I think, with a lot of stuff yeah. spitting out of this era, because, like, Marvel Now, and also all new, all different Marvel Now, like the second wave of whatever it was. But so um, that's that's where you get stuff like, you get... Kamala Khan, you get Sam Wilson taking up the shield as Captain America, you get um, personal experience. I literally last night and this morning binge read all of Al Ewing's uh, Loki Agent of Asgard, which is this wonderful, wonderful, chaotic, trippy, introspective Loki story that happens to tie into things like Original Sin and the weird heroes become villains, villains become heroes switch that happened with Axis. Like, mm -hmm. fuck Axis. <laughs> yeah. It's... Like you said, it, the, there was really good and there was really bad. Yep, and you also had, like, everyone was going into space and joining the Guardians of the Galaxy at this point. Yeah, a, a, a post-Guardians of the Galaxy world ruined the comics for a good period of time, in my opinion. Everyone was going to space. Why was Kitty Pride in space? Why was Agent Venom in space? What the was, fuck was going was on? Tony Stark in space. Oh god, Tony Stark, get out of space. Oh, don't put it... Tony, Tony Stark, don't go to space. <laughs> <laughs> little inventor man, don't go to space. But we're not talking about 2010s Marvel here. We are talking about 1963 Marvel. We are talking about the early days. This is right after Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, the house that those three veteran comic creators had built. They had done, at this point, Fantastic Four. Spider-Man, Iron Man, Hulk, Thor, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Like, they had just assembled the Avengers at this point. And they were on... Lee and Kirby were on to the next project. Um, I have a couple of notes here about this. Um, the characters were all Stan Lee. He had ideas yeah. for, like, a guy who shoots beams from his eyes, a human ice machine... A, a telekinetic teenage girl and their mentor, a telepath in a wheelchair. That is a direct quote from Stanley. <laughs> that was beautifully done. Hey, you know, we're getting impressions. It's not. And, but he was struggling to figure out how they got their powers. Like, literally, if you look at the stable of characters Marvel had at the time, it was. Nuclear accident, nuclear accident, nuclear accident, science, exper science experiment gone wrong, gets trapped in a cave and builds a suit of armor, four people go to space, get hit by science rays, and then Norse god. Yeah. 
lot so, of like, which is very indicative of the era though yes because a lot of media at that time whether it's intentional or not reflected especially like in regards to nuclear or radioactivity uh because that's one of the things like with godzilla with the original one gojira uh the japanese film it was a response to nuclear warfare like that's how godzilla was created and it was this very like as goofy and campy as it is and you know rewatching it it is one of my favorite movies it is a commentary on nuclear warfare and like the dangers of it and so it's a very interesting thing is that it's not just it wasn't this you know just big monster movie but of that era a lot of stuff because that was 1954 i believe but of that era a lot of stuff had that like radioactivity that nuclear effects because they just didn't know what was going to happen yeah and well you sort of see that in indicative in like those early marvel characters because like Fantastic Four was commenting on the space race. The Hulk was a victim of a gamma blast on a New Mexico testing site. Um, Spider-Man, whatever. A radioactive spider, you know, they happen. That can happen. It's Um, true. If I remember correctly, like, Tony Stark, like, got stranded and captured in, like, East Asian jungles, I believe. Like, could have been I'm trying to Viet- remember, yeah, like Vietnam or Cambodia or something was like the original origin, and then that story got updated depending on who America was fighting at the time. Yeah, and then we get to the X Men, who didn't have like a science based origin. Stanley's idea was. They just were this way. And that's where you get, like, mutants. And, I mean, like, mutants as, as like, a trope have sort of, like, the mutation idea has always sort of existed, I think. But, like, I can't think of, like, any other big pieces of media that do mutants and mutation that aren't the X-Men or X-Men related. I think it's because... In other medias, it's less referred to as mutant, and it's usually, like, evolution. Right. And, like, it's it's usually reframed as, like, oh, this is an evolutionary change. Because think about it, like, with the, whether it's the Jurassic Park movies, or uh, I'm thinking just, like, any kind of monster film where it has, like, an organic creature that's, you know, lived this way for, like, millennia and has been here since, uh, you know, the, the Cretaceous. Cretaceous period or whatever it is, uh, it's always that it's like it, you know, it evolved and it's like well, right. In if we're if we're going this kind of almost sci-fi route, that's a mutant. <laughs> like it, it yeah. mutated, but it's always I think it it has to do with like the way it's narratively framed is that it's not framed as well. This is a mutant creature. It's like no, this was an evolutionary process. Absolutely. Um, I got another Stan Lee quote here. <laughs> um. He says, I took the cowardly way out. I figured, hey, the easiest thing in the world. They were born that way. They were mutants. And like... <laughs> I mean, that's better than calling them the freaks. Like, <laughs> that, that's, that's what that sounds like he's like getting at. Yeah, but I sort of like... The cowardly way out being that sort of like... Looking at it in like the 2022 perspective. No, the cowardly way out would have just been to 
do another radioactive accident, you ushered in an entirely new era of characters because you were tired of doing the same old thing, Stan. Yeah, like, that's such an interesting way to look at it, is that, you know, hindsight 2020, all that, but of him calling it cowardly, because he's like, well, I just, I don't have an explanation for it. So that's the cowardly way. It's like, which I can understand as a writer's perspective of thinking that, like, oh, if I, I'm just going to say, well, they've always been that way. Okay, fine. You don't have a reason, whatever. But yeah, no, it, like you said, he ushered in a brand new way of, like, thinking about characters and just from the ground up built this. Yeah, and... And so, like, because this was huge for this era, especially when it comes to, like, early Marvel stuff really taking from America at the time. Like, this was mid-civil rights movement. Like, there was, like, waves of bigotry and hate sort of just spreading all over. But, you know, that never goes away. We live in the 2020s. mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But so, like, he... (laughs) I have a third Stan Lee quote here. The main objective was to show that bigotry is a terrible thing. If you needed an objective for a superhero story. Which, okay. Yeah. Which, like, I get it. I think, like, it's a very... Like, the Marvel characters had always been, like, they weren't idolized. Like, they never were immediately idolized unless you were, like, the Fantastic Four. Yeah. But, like, Spider-Man was feared and hated, and Peter Parker was bullied, and, like, you get so much of that from the mutants. Mm-hmm. And their introduction being, like, hey, these are people with strange new powers that kind of don't, that sometimes don't look like us. Uh, the public is going to be scared. Yeah. It, it's It's very interesting having that lens, because... I, I have in my notes, and I, I don't want to touch on it yet, because I, like, I want to, once we're, like, talking about the actual comic more, I want to touch on it. But, like, it's just very interesting, even within the comic, that it does, I, I feel like, it, as a, it doesn't get into it like it does in later comics, but for a oh. first issue, there is still a little bit kind of touched on that bigotry, which is very fascinating to me. Absolutely, like... You, we, we both know later writers come in and touch on this so much more. Oh, um, yeah. But, like, in terms of, like, really setting up what so many other stories in the future would elaborate on, yeah, it's great. I think it's great. Like, the whole, this whole issue, like, my fir- my big thought, general thought of it is, like, it's a great setup. And oh, Yeah. It feels like a good self-contained story. Mm-hmm. It gives me very like Saturday morning cartoon vibes. Yeah, where it is a self-contained single story you can watch it at any time. There could have been episodes prior you didn't need it. It's got the setup. It's got the punchline, you know, of the climax and then the end, and it's all very well neatly packaged. It's a very much like pilot that could that could also not be the pilot if you wanted it to yeah like it it, it, throws you in immediately and you don't have to worry about explanations and stuff which i love one of those things like 
again, kind of touching on that, him calling it lazy of, well, I took the easy way out, the cowardly way. Uh, it basically, like, it doesn't really get into details about stuff. It basically just says, there's mutants here, there are people with powers, there are some that are good, there are some that are bad. Here's a, like, a specific conflict that happens for the characters to face. Here's the, you know, the resolution, it's a good end. And then it leaves off with a, like, see you next time type of vibe. It's... I, it, it's so well packaged. It's so nice that I, I, I can't really put into words how much I enjoyed it. It's a nice, it's a nice little neatly, like, first issue. And yeah. you don't get comic stories like this anymore. And we've already recorded the episode that's coming out after this one, talking about, like, the second, like, big threat, one of the second big threats this team faced. And in that one, we sort of talked about how you see the uh, detractions of, like, 60s comic storytelling, where, like, everything has to be wrapped up by the end, and, like, it leaves certain things resolved. And so much of the dialogue is expository, but here it all just sort of feels good. And I think that might be because it's a first issue, and it has to do that, but... It also doesn't feel like a first issue. It feels like maybe it's because we have almost, oh my god, almost 60 years of yeah. X-Men history. Next year will be 60. Oh my god, I should have waited a year. <laughs> no, next year we get to talk about the Claremont stuff. That That's better. I was going to say greatest hits next year. That's better. It's the, it's the really good stuff next year. What? This... I, kind of lost my train of thought for a second earlier but now i got it uh what it makes me think of too is that i feel like especially with modern stories with like you were saying about things being expository is that if it says something about a it has to explain why a is a thing why is this possible why did this happen what are the effects of a while in this issue it just says very plainly there's mutants that's all you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, it doesn't get into detail. It doesn't say this is how they happened. This is how people feel about them specifically. It, it's, it doesn't get into like the nitty gritty and details of it. But it, for a first issue, it doesn't need to. And I think part of that, like you were saying about how things are just very neatly wrapped up per issue, essentially, is I, I think part of it is that they there was still always that danger of what if people don't like this? Yeah. And so, you know, cause if they, if they leave on a cliffhanger and it doesn't go well, well, why they, they can't continue it. So let's just complete the story. And hopefully that, you know, that keeps people interested in seeing what will happen next. And this is going to be something that gets touched on next year, thinking way far <laughs> into the future. But until, like, the mid to late 70s, the X-Men was not, like, a popular title. Like, mm -hmm. it, at this point, it was releasing every other month. It's it was wild how little it published compared to others. Like, you think about, like, because after, like, 60, 70-something issues, it just started printing, it just started reprinting old stories. And then... It's not until, like, Len Wein and Cockrum and Claremont come in and give us the all-new, all-different stuff. Mm -hmm. That's when it gets big and great, and that's when you get the uncanny uh, X-Men. 
which like yes, it incredible, but there is some good stuff in these early sixties. Oh issues. yeah, because and if that's not even because we're focusing on the Lee Kirby stuff this this month, and we're specifically looking at things before the fir- before the series hit the twenty issue mark. But that's not even mentioning the impact like Roy Thomas had on on the series because. If my memory may be completely wrong, but he gave us characters like Havoc and Polaris and expanded the families of these characters so much. Yeah. But let's just jump into the issue, shall we? Absolutely. So we open on a manor in Westchester County and a man is sitting alone in an empty room just him and his armchair. This is Professor Charles Xavier, and he is sitting in his chair room. And I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> Literally nothing else in this room. It is like, it is four walls, this love seat, and Charles sitting like an old man with a blanket over his legs. <laughs> and he telepathically calls his X Men, and he's like, class is in session. And tardiness will be punished. I would... I'm going to hold on to this, but I do want to touch on the whole tardiness thing in a, in a second. Uh, but I want to continue first with this, this Please. first page. Please. Uh, it, it's... Okay. I, I have to point out on this, like, splash first page. Uh, where it, you know, it shows him in his chair room, nothing else in it. And then it shows... The X-Men arriving, we have Cyclops, the Angel, the Beast, and Iceman are four established students of Charles Xavier. I, I have to draw attention, if you're looking at this panel, of what is Iceman doing? Clearly he appears to be sliding down a pole of ice that he created to enter this room. There's no top to the pole. Uh... There's no indication of it attaching to the ceiling. No. Or a hole in the ceiling that he could have slid down, because that's what that would imply, is that there was a hole without a pole to this floor, <laughs> and he slid down it after creating one. I I will posit, um, this probably wasn't a thing in the 60s, but pole dancing has become a big exercise trend now. So that's true. Maybe Bobby Drake just likes to keep fit. And this is how he, and this is how he does it. Maybe, may, but uh, it, it then looks like he had been in the room the whole time, and has just oh. been spinning on it, waiting. I don't. It's. I don't know if you've seen the. I don't know if you've seen the Lego Batman movie, but there's this yes, one of background shot where Polka Dot Man is just vibing on a pole, just like posing <laughs> and just vibing the whole time. No one calls attention to it. It's wonderful, but that's that, that, of... that could be what's ha- that could be what's happening right here. Before we go any further, I should mention um, released um, September of nineteen sixty three, written by Stan Lee, drawn by Jack Kirby, inks by Paul Ryman, and letters by Sam Rosen. Yes, I just had to I had to confirm that because he's only credited as S Rosen in the actual <laughs> comic, which okay sixties, but. <laughs> <laughs> but so you don't we, need more than that. 
we all we get all the X-Men sort of just coming out out in through various entrances. Bobby comes in on this pole. Cyclops is running from the back. Um Angel just flies in which from somewhere. From somewhere. And you know, Beast he just he takes the classic like sitcom best friend character and Things through climbs the window. Through the window. I, we should also mention that Iceman Bobby he he's he looks, he is, his, the art hasn't really come up, gotten to where, like, modern Bobby is. Because you think of, like, modern Iceman as, like, sleek, entirely made of ice. And here, he's snow. It's just, it is there a mouth. no features, except a mouth. Yeah, you, you get, you see a mouth a couple of times, but no eyes, no nose. He is just full snowman in a pair of little boots. <laughs> a human-shaped snowman with boots. At least he's styling. At least he's you know has boots on. God he's forbid he had he he went shoeless. Yeah, but so they come in, and the first thing they do is Cyclops and Angel sort of just they 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 help get the professor comfortable. They're like, come on, we gotta lean his chair back and put up the the footrest. Fix the blanket for his legs. I, I have in my notes, I, I go, why are they tending to Professor X like this? It's weird. This is a school. What? It's a school. It's very weird what for them to be. What teacher does this? Like, I have to just read Cyclops and Angel's lines here. Cyclops goes, come on, Angel. Let's tilt the professor's chair back and make him more comfortable. With pleasure, Cyclops, old man. There, there's a weird comma here where he goes with pleasure, comma Cyclops, comma old man. So I don't know if he's calling Cyclops old man, like old sport type thing. I think what. he's. I think he's calling Cyclops old man, which that's how it. That's which how leads it's to my, which leads to my theory that Cyclops was, is, and always will be an old man in a young man's body. Like <laughs> you, if you. Look at the history of Cyclops with that mindset. Everything makes sense. My thinking was just that he's just the oldest of the X-Men of these original four. Is that like it, it, it's more in jest, but it's still a weird line. But he goes with pleasure, Cyclops, old man. We want the professor comfortable while he puts us through our paces. That That's not a normal human conversation to have. These are... <laughs> <laughs> what kind of school are you running here, Charles? Four students, and without you saying anything, without you indicating this, they just spring into action of tending to you to get, make sure you're comfortable before you haze them, essentially. Four students who live in your house. It, it's weird to break down. But we should also mention that throughout, like, this first part of the issue, Charles is communicating to them specifically through their thoughts. Like, Charles does not open his mouth until much later in the book, and it is basically him just giving instructions telepathically as they go through, like, these training exercises. It's... Yeah, they, he goes through Cyclops, trains Beast with some machine. Uh, so, 
here's where I, this this is the start of me wanting to touch on that whole tardiness line. Yes. So when he summons them, he goes, you are ordered to appear at once. Class is now in session. Tardiness will be punished. And they all rush in. Fantastic. Uh, Cyclops is training Beast on this machine. And in Professor X's thoughts, as he's telling Beast what to do, he goes, uh, and now, at my command, release yourself from the, wi- the taut wire and execute maneuver G. You have exactly three seconds. The next panel shows the beast, like, ricocheting through some hoops and across the walls. He is a large man, and I understand, like, velocity and things. For him to do that in three seconds, fully impossible. I'm just gonna come out and say it. Time doesn't work like that. There's another instance within the comics where something needs to be done in, like, 15 seconds or some other like oddly specific amount and i'm like that's that's not possible there's no it does not matter like their powers do not allow that to be a possible thing none of them are super speedy this is not a real measure of time why is he like this oh my god we should mention like they are being trained through obstacle courses and weird like bits of machinery like it's not called the danger room yet, but it is like this is the danger room. Oh yeah, uh, it, it's a lot of like cartoonish type things as well. Like there is a uh, flame jet, there is this like large crushing machine that Angel has to fly through. Uh, these wild spinning blades that he has to like dip and dive through as they're spinning and not get caught. Uh, ton of different stuff all in this one room maybe this is why the only piece of furniture we see in the beginning is the chair if you keep going though throughout this like this room is much larger than it first appears yeah okay because this isn't the chair room anymore (laughs) no they haven't unless they've moved him is the thing because he has not moved from how they set up his chair he is still in this room which to me implies that either there is stuff that is outside that he can see, or this room is gigantic. Because <laughs> space, as much as time, does not apply here, apparently. What is the geography of, this, of the X-Mansion? I want to know, because... Constantly shifting. <laughs> Amorphous. It's like a, tar- it's like a TARDIS. Because <laughs> as we... So, Angel's machinery that he goes through, because I could I, I could see what Beast is doing. Like I I can see that being in this room, because he, yeah. he has like a single machine. Uh, that could I I can suspend disbelief for that to be in this room. Mm-hmm. The hoops, fine. I can I can believe that. The flame jet, the clamp machine, like the crushing machine, the blades. Absolutely not. Do not believe that's in this room. Uh, It also then cuts when we get to Bobby's training that there's now lockers and some other machinery and a chair and a broom that are in here. Lockers. um, We should mention Bobby's training. We should mention Bobby and Cyclops' training because um, first thing Bobby does is um, he gets a carrot, a corncob pipe, uh, two eyes, um, and a broom. I think it's a lemon peel as well. Oh, well, he basically turns himself. Snow. I was I was using the lyrics of Frosty the Snowman. Oh. 
I'm a notorious Frosty the Snowman hater, so I blocked That's it right. out. That's right. <laughs> um, but so, basically what Bobby's training is, is <laughs> Hank throws a bowling ball at him, and he just makes, like, a... It's cartoon physics, basically. He makes, like, a little ramp that throws it back at Hank. And it nearly hits uh, Professor X, apparently, <laughs> as he flings it back. Yeah. I, I should mention, though, that, like, this, for the most part, this sort of sets up the characterization that these four would sort of con continue to have for the longest time. Like, you get Bobby the jokester. You get him very much, like, comic relief. He is the kid. He is not taking any of this seriously. And then you get stick-in-the-mud Cyclops being like, look, you two clowns. Be more careful next time. That bowling ball just missed the professor by a whisker. That kind of horseplay isn't funny. It's the only one I'd argue, uh, which I would say, well, argue is not the right word. The only one who I feel doesn't match yet his later iterations. And I understand why. Because um, part of his whole thing was like, the mutations mutating is with beast is not like ultra intelligent at this point. Yeah. He, he is also very like, Hey, I'm a big guy type jokester. Uh, yeah. That's kind of his whole vibe, which is he's, very he's, standard. He's like a more charismatic, like muscle character. Yeah. Like he, I think embodies some of the same qualities as like the thing of this yes. time. Very, but, I was going to say, he gives me very big Ben Grimm vibes. But in a very, like, agile, more acrobatic and agile package. Yes. Like, like he's clearly very much drawn, like, gorilla-esque. Yeah. It's, so a lot of his stuff does have more, like, acrobatics tied to it. Yeah. And then you get um, Angel being very suave, very charming later in this issue. Yeah. And so the the training sort of devolves into roughhousing, basically. Like Bobby tur like encases himself into a cube of ice, and Cyclops like starts destroying it. And then Angel and Beast joining on the fight, and and then Charles is like, "Enough, we're done. We have something else to attend to. We have a new student." And should should we talk about how that new student is described to the four boys? I have in my notes specifically, Professor, please don't call Jean Grey attractive. I'm begging you. Please don't. Please, please don't. don't. Uh, he finally, this is the first time he speaks out loud physically to the students. Yes. He goes, you may be interested to learn that at this very moment, I sense a taxi approaching our main gate. Within that vehicle is a new pupil, a most attractive young lady. Gross. Sir, Sorry. you are their professor. Don't do this. What kind of school is this? <laughs> I don't like it. This also, is a I do have to touch real quick, because then my, I, I, I have the comic open, and I'm just kind of flipping through it as we're discussing. Um, I retract my comment about Scott being the oldest. He, it is specifically stated he is not. Beast is the oldest. Yes. So that now makes it for me, is that it goes Beast, Scott, Warren, Bobby, in age. Well, his name's not Scott yet, but we'll get to his, what his name is. Oh, no, I know. I know. <laughs> um, but so Charles is like, oh, there's a new student, and she's a, she's a young lady. 
And so immediately, Cyclops, Angel, Beast rush to the window. Like, it is 60s teen boy horny. As mm-hmm. in, like, making a lot of, like, oh, she's a real living doll. Ooh, a redhead. Sort of. Very, I'm in like, no hurry to graduate from this place if she's yep. here. And then Bobby's like, a girl. Big deal. I'm glad I'm not a wolf like you guys. Which, you know, like, in terms of the character of Iceman, like, evolving later throughout, like, modern comics, like, some very well done unintentional foreshadowing. It's it's really funny to me, because I, I have that too. I'm like, it, I know it's meant to be that he's a kid. He's stated as being 16, a couple years younger than the rest. So it, it does read like, he, oh, he's just a kid. He's not interested. He's not girl crazy yet. Uh, but yeah, with the modern knowledge of like, oh, no, he was just gay is fascinating to me. And I love it. Absolutely. Yes. And then... And so they're like, they're wondering what sort, the, as this as this girl shows up to the mansion, they're like, I wonder what sort of superhuman power she possesses. She looks normal enough, which I kind of want to talk about for a second. Yeah. Because the first class of mutants that we meet, and very much well into, like, as far as we'll be covering this month, mm-hmm. all the mutants, good or evil, that we meet are... Human? Human, no real, like, defining physical traits. They're all white. Um, it's very, it's a very one-note thing. And yeah. later writers would absolutely come and give us more international mutants. Mutants God. of different races, different nationalities, different religions. And uh, including some with more physical characteristics. But... And, and even Beast would develop more different physical characteristics. But for now, he just looks like uh, like the missing link between yeah. like, ape and human. And when he gets out of his X-Men costume and dress normally, he just looks like a guy. Yeah, he's a, like, he just has large hands and large feet, but he's just he's a guy. A, he's got a wide build. It's a very yeah. wide build. But not enough that I'd say it's like... He's clearly mutated. Like he's he's just a big guy. So, like, but going like with what you said though of them saying, "Oh, she looks normal enough." You all do. You all you look all, normal. You all look normal. Angel has wings, but he, but he is shown later in the issue that he has a harness that is easy enough to take on and off. Which, that can hides. I just say trans allegory? Like he wears a harness. He wears a binder. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's my take on That was my takeaway from it. As soon as I saw that, I was like, I mean, come on. <laughs> and so we meet Jean Grey, who is the fifth member of this team. She sort of just walks into, like, this library portion of the mansion. And she's like, what am I doing here? What kind of school is this? You didn't tell me anything. I, I just told my parents. The only two people you allowed me to tell that I'm going to school here and know nothing else? What kind of school is this, Charles? <laughs> like, from the, from the jump, it's just bad vibes all around. So we get the reveal of 
everyone here. They are mutants. You possess an extra power, one which ordinary humans do not. And this is why, where we get the reveal of why they're called the X-Men. And I hate it so much. I, I'm personally so in love with it, and I love the fact that you called that it was a Stanley invention. It is Before you even read that it was. I read an article that, okay, we should explain why they're called the X-Men first. I, I will just, I will read the Charles quote from this panel. That is why I call this my students X-Men for extra power. That, that's it. They, they are the X-Men forevermore because extra power. Not because your last name is Xavier. Uh, to be fair, the, the concept of like the X gene hadn't been introduced yet. No. But, but this is a very 60s Stan Lee name. In that same article that I was quoting at the beginning, he is like, oh yeah, I'll just call them the X-Men because they got, you know, extra powers. <laughs> like, Why'd you I have to like... You he's, took like the... He's been called Professor X. Like, the first page does not just call him Professor Xavier, but he is listed as Professor X yes. on the very first page. There's precedent for just using the letter X for him. But they... They don't even, like, use the first letter of extra. They use, like, the first phonetic syllable represented by the letter X. It's a mess all around. Um, Yeah. But after that, we get to meet, uh, officially, we get the full names of the roster of the X-Men that Jean Grey will be joining. Yes. And I I would love to read this verbatim, he says. Uh, And here they are now. Could As you um yes, could, go ahead. could you do the one we want to talk about last? Last. Yes, I yes. will save him for last. Uh but they Thank all you. enter the room dressed normally. They're no longer in their ex costumes. Uh you can't see Warren's wings. But he says, and here they are now. Allow me to present them to you. From left to right, we have Hank McCoy, known to us as the Beast, Bobby Drake, na- nicknamed Iceman, Warren Worthington the Third, who is called the Angel. And finally, our human Cyclops, none other than Slim Summers himself. Slim? Slim? Slim Slim Summers. I knew that. See, I had thought that that was a nickname, because I want to think Jean Grey calls him that. I have memories of, like, 90s Jean Grey. But it was very much like Scott Slim Summers as a nickname. But he is not one. He's never called Scott in this comic. He's only referred to as Slim if they say his name. He is referred to as Scott in like, by, like, issue four. But until then, he is Slim Summers. And Slim. in the Nightcrawler episode, a slip-up in, in saying the name Scott Summers led to Gummers. Um, I would like to posit a different name, uh, Slimmers. <laughs> Neither are good. <laughs> I will only be referring to him as Slimmers for the rest of this episode. Not Slimmers. So, um, so then they all sort of, they, again, it's very much like 60s teen horny, and they all start hitting on Jean Grey immediately. immediately. Like, the, the next panel is like, 
Hank and Warren just like crowding around here, and Bobby's just ma- just making making jokes in the background. Yeah, it, it's they are like Scott comes in to. I'm gonna call him Scott because I I cannot in good consciousness just call him Slim only. Do what uh, you want. I'm gonna call him Slimmers. <laughs> Slimmers. Uh, but Scott comes in, he he brings in a chair for her, uh, because you know, the beast tells him to, and she telekinetically brings it herself and you know shows that she does not need their help. Which I I did have notes on that is as it she showcases her powers to the boys. Um I I like how she's done in this comic. Like I like her like in a retrospect, it does feel like very much like, oh, girl power type thing. But I feel like for the era and the fact that she was this first female character being brought in and introduced within this, you know, first issue, I like how it's done. It's very much like what I was, like, that minor bigotry that I was talking about, where they are immediately, like, only viewing her as being pretty, and that is her value. And she's like, no, I can put all of you in your places without breaking a sweat. Don't test me. He is one of two later designated Omega level mutants on this team. The other being the one who wants nothing to do with her. <laughs> My boy Bobby Drake, I love him. And and so like she immediately proves herself as one of the most powerful members of this team, including like when Hank puts his hands on her, she like oh. shoves him into the ceiling. So, okay, I, not to bring up all new X-Men again. Oh, no. It, it's, I, I, it makes me very uncomfortable. It's immediately put in, you know, like, stopped. She stops it in his place. But she, he touches her cheek, kind of pulls it towards him, and he kisses her on the cheek. Mm-hmm. As he says, uh, welcome to the X, you know, welcome to the X-Men. She immediately, like, lifts him up in the air, spins him around, and then drops him on a couch. Yes. Fantastic. Uh, very uncomfortable, but I, it was just a very quick turnaround. Great. Uh, that just, it made me so uncomfortable for the Hank and Jean that was pushed during All New X-Men with the first class X-Men. Oh my god, you're right. In that retrospect, I, I've blo- like I said, I've blocked so much out, but I did remember that seeing that scene, and I'm like, I, I, I don't like that. I really don't like that. They they really have tried to ship Jean with almost every member, m- male member of the X-Men, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. It, but, yeah, she... she uh, it, it just, it's a very uncomfortable panel for me. I Like, I got really bad vibes from it, but she quickly proves that she can take care of herself. Yeah, I do not, I do not like it. I, like, cringe when I first was like, oh, they allowed this? Yeah. They allowed this when the comics code was still full in effect? I mean, uh, worse things have happened in comics even with the code. Oh, no, absolutely. But, like, I just, i very uncomfortable, not great, but immediately he's put in his place. And then we get an explanation for why Xavier does all of this. He's Basically, like, he was born of parents who worked on the first atomic bro- bomb project, and mm. he was born with a mutation. He can 
read minds and project those thoughts into his into other people's minds. And he just assumes that he's the first mutant because no one else is like... Which I find so fascinating to me because these are young students. They, which we learn later, have not yet seen, like, full combat yet. Like, this is, like, what happens later is their first time, like, they're all young. Uh, it's their, kind of their first mission, where they're actually sent out to do something. But the next page, after he, you know, explains about himself, explains that he, he believes he's possibly the first mutant, uh, he does state that there are... He goes, many mutants walk the earth and more are born each year. Not all of them want to help mankind. Some hate the human race and wish to destroy it. Some feel that the mutants should be the real rulers of the earth. It is our job to protect mankind from those, from the evil mutants. How does he know all this? If, he, oh. if he's thinking that he's the first mutant, why does he think that there's more? Like, that, like one, how does he know that there's all these evil mutants out there? <laughs> like... And, like, there's no, there's no, like, reveal of Cerebro or anything. Like, none of nope. these later, like, developments that would allow him to know this stuff. Yeah. It, he, he, what, he's just reading the newspaper? Like, picks up the Tribune and he's like, oh, well, new mutant reporting. I honestly think he, knowing later characterizations of Xavier and later interpretations of the character, he might just be acting on pure assumption. Oh, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> because he doesn't know what's going on in, like, the rest of the world. Like, in Canada, there is, a, according to that one 2006 origin series in Canada, there's been a mutant since the time of the Civil War going on. Like, I, I, okay. Because we're getting to the next part, uh, I, I want to ask this, because it doesn't come up in this comic. It's not something that's established till later, but it is yep. still the canon for this character. Uh, Magneto gets introduced. Uh -huh. But what I want to ask first, how old do you think Professor X is in this comic? Honestly, 40s, I think. So... Would you say that he and Magneto are the same age? I mean, like around only, the same age. You never see Magneto without his helmet here. You you can only assume, I would say. Uh, which and I love that original helmet. Not gonna lie, that, the little like, the little so horns good. on it. I love the horns. It's they're so good. Um, what a color combo! But okay, so let's let's just pause it early. You know. You know, they're, they're, let's say they're in their 40s. Um, not possible, unless this takes place in the future as of the time of the publishing of this comic. Uh, Magneto was born late 20s, per canon, uh, like, because there's a whole matter of the, you know, World War II, his family. Um, if this comic, let's just say that it's taking place in 1963, because that's when it was released... He'd only be, like, mid-30s. Which would mean that then Xavier's only about mid-30s. Oh my god. As if we, this, this is the test that I did, is I used uh, 1927, because I figured that's kind of the mid-range of late 20s. Yeah. Is 
let's say he's you know, born 1927, add six years to get us to 1933, add 30 years to get us to 1963, that's only 36 years old. He's 36. Going off of that, yeah, 36 is what I, I, I have, is that they are both mid-30s. I do not picture this guy as 36. No, no absolutely not. This is like that. This is like that Mario's age bullshit. Like Mario is twenty seven years old. No, <laughs> no. There are characters that are eternally forty five and like eternally sixties. And Charles and Eric, that's you two. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of Magneto, though, as we get to uh, you know Charles explaining, which he's also not called Charles in this. He's just Professor Xavier. But right. as as Charles explains that there are evil mutants that they have to protect the world from, it cuts to Magneto, uh, who is striking a secret laboratory near Cape Citadel. Um, oh my god, it I is... Was... It, sorry, it is Cape Citadel. I wrote this in my notes and I misread it as Cape Canaveral. <laughs> I thought Magneto went to Florida. Maybe he did. Where is Cape Citadel? Is it real? Hold on. I'm going to do some research. Do some, some quick, research. A quick on-the-fly Google if you want to explain what happens in this scene. So there's something particular that I want to touch on with this, is that he is going to strike at Cape Citadel uh, because his goal is that the human race no longer deserves dominion over the planet. The day of the mutants is upon us. The first phase of my plan shall be to show my power to make homo, homo sapiens bow to homo superior. Uh, there's a rocket being launched that he is going to stop and destroy to show that this pinnacle of creation of you know technology at this time uh, can easily be just destroyed. That So it's very much a like classic supervillain, this is my power moment. But yeah. what I want to touch on real quick is he calls himself the Miraculous Magneto, and throughout the rest of the issue, only ever refers to himself as the Miraculous Magneto in full. I, ju I just, I really had to... Why? Why does he call himself that? Why is that his only title? Was that, like, were they trying to make that stick as his full title, and then they just shortened it to Magneto? I... You know, it was one of those things where, like, every super—I'm pretty sure every hero had an adjective at this point. So, <laughs> adjectives I, were just cool. Yeah, <laughs> that was the era. I will need to mention um, Cape Citadel is in Florida. I it is a fictional place, but it is in Florida, so it is the Cape Canaveral like analog okay. here. I think. Um, I should mention also, this is the first time the, the phrase homo superior is mentioned. And I think that's, you know, of like ideas that were introduced in issue one and stuck, like the idea of homo superior, like, is one of those things you can't think of the X-Men without thinking of that. Yeah. And I also think, here's my pitch, Marvel, for when you eventually put the MCU, the X-Men in the MCU. Um, there's a David Bowie song, Oh You Pretty Things, with the line, gotta make way for the homo superior. Um, I expect a trailer with that needle drop. Because... If Marvel doesn't do it, you know the fan cams will be out. 
Yeah. On mass. Oh my god, like, whoever they cast as Magneto is gonna get, like, a David Bowie fan cam. <laughs> but, but, like, in terms of, like, I have to quick... There have been some great, like, needle drops in comic book movies recently. Um, mm-hmm. uh, specifically shouting out, I forget what the name of the David Byrne, Brian Eno, Eno song is that, that plays at the beginning of No Way Home, but, like, the tension that is that that sets up really good. Um, literally all of the Batman just using Nirvana something in the way was yeah. chef's kiss. Um, I'm a sucker for Ave Maria as well. I, oh, the Ave Maria is so well-placed. Uh, like orchestral type, like choir sound. Yeah. Um, and then... There's also the Wonder Woman 1984 trailer that I have to mention. I haven't seen the movie, but it uses an orchestral version of New Order's Blue Monday. And that is the vibe I want if you were to use Oh You Pretty Things in an X-Men trailer. Like, give it a full remix, like, new cover, epic scale, grand scale, but still keeping the original vocals. Like mm-hmm. that that is my hope. But so Magneto steals this missile. Destroys it. And destroys it, plunges it into the sea. And then we get I just call this next page and a half shenanigans, basically. Because it's a lot of like the guns start firing on their own, the tank starts moving. He's just using his magnetism powers to fuck shit up at this military base. Uh, my favorite thing is the final thing he does. Uh, <laughs> which, it's not the final, but for me, it's like the piece de resistance. Is yes. when he's... <laughs> I have to explain how it's done. It says, compose of the dust particles from the air itself. Skillfully magnetized into a message, he spells out huge letters in two different fonts. He says, surrender the base, or I'll take it by force, exclamation mark. Signed in a lovely cursive, Magneto. He he takes time for this signature, oh, I think. Chef's kiss. I, I, think, I gotta I, hand it to him. I think I think it's sort of like um Bow to but it's it's very much the vibe of like Bow to me, puny humans. I will take your military base by force. Love Magneto. <laughs> it, it's such a stark contrast, but it's essentially it's it's as if he wrote the first half in impact and then used like what's that cursive font, dang it. Uh lobster. Is it lobster is is the it's the lobster font, right? <laughs> not lobster, there's one specific now I gotta look. Hold on. It is Kind of lobster, but there, there's one that I, I know it's it's like a standard type font. Uh, it has a handwriting version, and that's what it looks like to me. It's just a very standard like handwritten font, yeah, or you know, handwritten adjacent looking font. Now, what font would you rather this message be written in? Comic Sans, hundred uh, percent. This new. <laughs> Comic Sans or or the Joker Man font, if you if you know that one. 
crazy uh, chiller chiller if we really want to like drive that message home of how terrifying this is it's writes the message in wingdings <laughs> so I, I i just i feel like as this issue goes on and as magneto showcases his powers he can literally do anything like there is no limit to what the power of magnetization can do. This is why he is the best X-Men villain. <laughs> Literally the best, because he'll be walking by, something insane will happen, and he's like, oh yes, I managed to do it by blah blah blah, and I'm like, that's not how magnets work. That's not how anything works. In the words of insane clown posse, fucking magnets how do they work? <laughs> like, okay, so he finally gets into the base, and he goes, okay, they're startled. Uh, he wants to show another demonstration of his power. He says, I'll direct my magnetic impulses into this energizer to increase their power, and then I'll leave the helpless homo sapiens with no room for doubt. He releases a rocket. Like, he manages to activate and fly this rocket, not through the power of magnetism, but of its own thrusters. Like, he turns on the rocket. This isn't how magnets work. Not how magnets work at all. Uh, he also fires it towards an unmanned ship. So, like, he doesn't even, like, he's purposely not trying to kill anyone. He's just being a funny, goofy dude at this point. And then he, and then he, like, strolls out onto the military base like with a magnetic force field around him he's just going out for a lovely walk and i also should mention there's one panel where like the magnetic energy comes from his helmet rather than like his hands or his or like using his hands at all to shift the balance yeah so like it, when he lassos the group of people using magnetic waves again not how magnets work not how magnets work also did they did they originally think that his powers came from the helmet because he's called a mutant but it's it's so like for me how i interpret it is that it's more i, I think they're still kind of telekinetically based yeah, like it, it's all coming from if he thinks that he can do it. it I think that's what it's going for here, because there the panel prior where he uh, directs his magnetic impulses to the energizer, he's just staring at it. Like it's it just comes, it, it, he's firing eye beams at it is what it looks like. He's not, but that's how it's drawn. So I think that's honestly what it is. It's very much meant to be like it's all ten, you know telekinetic. Yeah, and so we move from <laughs> telemagnetic. We So we see this great scene of Magneto stealing this military base, and we cut back to teenage perversion. That's yeah. That's exactly what this is. It's like again, cutting a war movie with, like, National Lampoon. Yeah, again, another kind of uncomfortable scene. Jean yeah. Grey's trying on her Marvel Girl outlet, uh, outfit, I'm sorry. And then the three dudes are spying on her. It's so creepy, and it's 
yeah, she, again, rightly yells at them, and they're like, hey, don't be mad, we were just passing by, gorgeous. Uh, nope, don't like that at all. Nope. Uh, but they are quickly interrupted by Xavier calling out to them in their thoughts again. Um, here, yeah, here, here's that other mention I had of the tardiness. So they're in a fully different room uh, altogether, and he goes, attention X-Men, this is Professor Xavier, report to my study immediately. You have 15 seconds. No excuses will be tolerated. And my then man. the next panel says, exactly 15 seconds later. <laughs> like, Maybe this is, maybe the school doesn't teach them to like hone their mutant powers or help others. It just teaches them proper punctuality. The importance of showing up on time when you say that you're going to show up. And again, to my, um, that, the panel that, where they all receive the mental message, again, to my theory of Slimmers just being an old man in a universally aging body, he's just sitting in the background, he's got his glasses on, he's in a sweater vest and a bow tie, looking grumpy as hell. He's just a grumpy guy, but that fits for him. Um, and, yeah, so they get ready, they they are told about Magneto, and they're like, we have to go defeat him, and so they all rush to change into their outfits, and all Bobby's gotta do is put on his boots. I, I do have to say, um, cause Bobby runs off in front of the, in, in front of all of them, um, and then changes into snowman form, puts on his boots, and he goes, you know, great, I, I can do it faster. Awesome, Bobby. Um, I have to say, from the panel before he goes into ice form, he says the word yabo, like yay bo, what is as a single yay-bo? word. What is yabo? I don't know. It's never um, said again. It's never addressed. We were both born post nineteen ninety, correct? Like ninety one, ninety one, ninety nine. Um, so anyone older than us wanna um tell us what the hell Yabo means? Anyone from the 60s want to give us more context? Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. It is wild to me. It, it's... Yeah, but, so they all rush off. They get into costume. We see that Warren wears normally a like red jumpsuit under his clothes. Uh, and there's a harness that he keeps... Uh, his wings in um so he releases the harness he puts his costume on and instead of just jumping to action this this is what i found very funny uh is they get in (laughs) xavier's was it custom built rolls royce with dark tinted windows specifically called out yeah uh, and then they Interesting. They into a remote control private jet and fly Westchester to Florida. Like they it's... take a couple hours to get there, I think. Like they they take a it's like going to the airport. It it does say it's from the airport. Uh so yeah, we don't know how long it takes for them to get to the airport specifically. But yeah, however long it takes for them to get there. Uh, they do specify, though, that the jet does fly at nearly the speed of sound. So Okay. So it's not the, the Blackbird jet. Is- yet. It's not the Blackbird, but it's a private jet. 
Yes, it is a private speed of sound jet. It's just a, like a commercial airliner that was retrofitted with like high tech. My concept, though, what I love is because uh, Professor X is controlling it. He's not there. He's still uh, at the manor. Um, or, or not the manor. He was the one driving? No, yeah, I he think... was driving the Rolls Royce because oh my... he has a speech bubble where he says, no joking, please concentrate on your mission, review your powers, your foes certain to be highly dangerous. Um, but he, he's not in the plane. He's just controlling it. So what I love, though, is that that implies that he, this is his private jet, and he just leaves it at the airport. He just, he, okay. Yeah, like, <laughs> there's stuff to unpack there if you want to unpack it. I don't. Um, no, I'm good. <laughs> um, They get to Cape Citadel, uh, and then... And then they're ba- they talk to the soldiers, and they're basically like, there's a force field guarding the entire base. Again, not how magnets work, but <laughs> we don't have time. And so we get a really good, like, action scene of, like, each of the first class, like, using their powers to try and take down the force field. And that sort of, like, takes up the next couple of pages. And then yeah. they get to Magneto, and... He just shows off how better at this he is than the rest of them by, like, throwing rubble on top of all of them. I I, I have to say real quick with Magneto, because I do have a note about this. Uh, why does he talk like a Shakespearean actor? Because Wouldn't I have you? to just read his lines real quick. So uh, Cyclops merely knocks himself out, breaking through the barrier. The X-Men rush in. Magneto, elsewhere, says, some power is attacking me. Some power as superhuman as my own. I was staggered because I was unprepared for such an ons- for any such onslaught. But now that I'm forewarned, I can defeat any foe, no matter how superhuman he may be. Ah, how now I see my antagonists, five costumed youths. Surely all their powers put together will be no match for mine. But I will let oh. the base's mi- hunter missiles do my fighting for me. They will hunt the five down, attracted by their body heat. But... <laughs> Well, it's very Shakespearean. It's very Shakespearean. He's delivering a soliloquy, but I do want to say the way you were you were performing that was also very Shatnerian. Uh, that is true. <laughs> it was very. You hit a couple of the hey, uh, we have to. Uh, I put uh, in pauses that weren't there, but I yeah. felt that they fit. But you know, that's exactly what it is, and I love it. I think this is. I love it when Magneto is like this. It's so campy. It's so good. And like, there's some of this in current, like, modern day X-Men that is incredible. Chef's Kiss. It's yeah. like Magneto truly is like a Shakespearean tragic figure. And I love it. it it's it's so good. But they, they each have their own like times to shine as they are evading the missiles that he sends. Uh, Bobby takes a bunch down. Warren is able to evade. Uh, Hank is able to swing and catch one with his feet. Jean Grey <laughs> manages to fling one into the ocean. Uh, they all get their moment. Like it's a really good show of their powers, and it's kind of like, oh, this is what they've trained for. Uh, Jean Grey, who has not had any training at this point, nope. is just like, oh, I'm just going to grab this missile as uh, Hank lets go of it, and I can just 
toss it in the ocean, and it's fine. The most powerful character on this team. Absolutely. The the best character. Uh, Uh, And then Magneto just blows up a bunch of rocket fuel. (laughs) I do love that it's just this, like, tank on wheels that is labeled rocket fuel. (laughs) He's he's not even using his powers, he's pushing it. (laughs) Uh, Bobby... It's, it shows Bobby covers them with, like, an ice shield, uh, and then Cyclops dug a tunnel for them, so they come out from underground after, you know, successfully surviving rocket fuel explosion. Um, and then Magneto kind of T-poses. He kind of T-poses as he flies up. He does. He does T-pose and flies away. It's Galactus all over again. <laughs> and we do... I, I did just notice this. We get the first use of Uncanny to describe the X-Men. Spoken oh, by, I, by a I have that in my notes. I go Uncanny mention on the board. Now, did they think about this when they, uh, when they were coming up with new adjectives in the 70s and 80s? Who knows? Uh, all right. Yeah, so it sort of just ends with them flying back to Westchester and the disembodied psychic head of Charles Xavier in the sky, like Mufasa in The Lion King. <laughs> it's so weird. Just this little face, and it kind of looks like a baby face in there. It looks like the sun from Teletubbies. Yes, 100%. <laughs> yeah, um, and that's the comic. Final thoughts? Uh, I love it. It was great. Too. I really enjoyed it, yeah. It's a very fun, like, setting up these characters. Like, yeah. you don't need to know everything. I, knowing what we know now about some of these characters, I, like, that's just my brain being like, oh, I wish this was here. Oh, I wish, I wish this, I wish this stuff was here, but I wish Magneto and Charles, like, had more tension, but, you know. yeah. We can only all hope for the future. Yes. And it's one of those things, too, where it's like it is nice to see where these things start and how they change over time. Because that's the thing, too, is like, not just with the X-Men, but with any comics that have been going on as long as these have, where you can, you know, appreciate and recognize their origins, but then also say, like, there is better stuff out there, too. Absolutely. Like, this... In terms of X-Men stories I've read that feature these five and Magneto, um, this isn't this doesn't scrap the scratch the top ten, but it's nice. It's good. It's, for what it set out to do, it's fantastic. Yeah. Like it really is. Uh the artwork, uh Jack Kirby, incredible, obviously. Um, there's a reason he's called the King of Comics. It all looks good. Like there's yeah. weird 60s things, but, like, it looks good. And it looks Does. dynamic. It's great. It's fun. I should mention, though, um, I, will, I, will show, I will show this over the Discord call that we're using to record. I am reading out of this. This is a Essential Uncanny X-Men, Volume 1, um, I believe from, like, um... 1999 is when this was published. Um, <laughs> the same year you were published. Yeah, th- <laughs> this is as old <laughs> as I am. And 
And so it is like one of those essential paperbacks, like reprinting all the old stuff. It's all in black and white. I so, noticed that when you were sending pictures of it, and I was like, oh, you're reading an interesting issue then. So I, like, when you were being like, oh, Warren has a red jumpsuit, I was like, oh, he does? <laughs> he, he does? I was, so I found this in a $5 trades bin at, um, shout out Collector's Edge Comics South in Milwaukee. Um, I found this there and I was like, oh, I am going to need this. And like, would I rather have like a full hardcover reprint in color? Yes, but like, I don't have that kind of money. And if five if five dollars can get me all the X Men stories I'm covering this May, I'll get it. There's, and like, like, there's a charm to that too in having. I it like I like seeing this stuff in black and white. And like, I'm I'm sure like for the future ones I'm gonna go back and prep for these episodes in color. But like, I I think having this in such like a compact package is great. I think it's great. Shout out to. Black and white paperbacks. Um, yeah. Physical media, everyone. <laughs> the I love wonders it. of physical media. The wonders of physical media. And now we are going to transition into the tentatively titled, as always, Cast the Comic. We will never figure out a better title. Cena, Can you I told pause at something? Yes. Casting Call. Casting Call is nice. I was in the episode that came out the Thursday we are recording this. I posited casting couch, and I do not like that. No. Um, that's no. bad. I, 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 I listened to that one, and you, as soon as you said it, and you like immediately picked up, and you're like, nope, that no, no, no. Good casting call is nice. We're gonna, we're gonna let that we'll stew. Workshop it. We'll workshop it. Um. All right. So you said you had two lists. Do you have two lists? Uh, I'm going to do my what I'm calling the standard list first. Okay. Uh, so. Not to... I, I think I think we should um for this like we'll we can go back and forth like you'll do one for yourself I'll do one for for my list I'll do mine for my list and then I want to hear your bonkers list last okay yes I was gonna say because I want to get through both of our lists first and then my my bonkers list that's what I was uh, thinking so the the characters that I cast uh just going down the list I have Professor Xavier Hank McCoy Bobby Drake Slim Summers Warren Worthington the third. Jean Grey, and then I wrote it down as the Miraculous Magneto. He's very miraculous. <laughs> very miraculous. Uh, I did this in order of how they were introduced within the comic. Absolutely. So, uh, for Professor X, I have uh, actor Alfonso Herrera. He is a Mexican actor. Um, actually, I, I, I have I specifically saved images for all of this, so hold on. Okay. Um, I should because also... I wanted to cast with that mid-30s range in mind. So both Professor X and Magneto are younger than they normally are because they're supposed to be mid-30s if that's what we're going with, which I know yeah. at the time of this comic that that hasn't been established. But I wanted to establish it just so I had a range to go off of. Absolutely. And like if we are casting for like the MCU, you need actors that will be around for a long time. Yes. I get where you're coming from with this. I I love him as an actor. Uh, I, I've used him as a fan cast for a couple different things. Uh, but 
I, I was looking at pictures. I came across this one of him, and I'm like, that's the vibe. That's what I want. He's got this very, like, stern-looking features, but he also has a bit of a softness to him. I feel that he would be a very good Professor X. So, for my Professor X, I have three. Um, two of them are, like, the big picks that I just, like, stole off of, like, fan casting articles and stuff. Um, one of them I just wanted to mention, because I don't... I don't know if I like it or dislike it. Brian Cranston. I I think I think he needs to be playing a villain is the thing. I don't yes. I don't see him as a Professor X. The other big one that I saw, um, Mark Strong. Yes, yeah. I do think he, he could pull up he could pull off an older Professor X. I think this the stuff he did with Kingsman really showed that having like a Scott makes great Professor X's, as we saw with James McAvoy. Um, but then I had one more. This is not my original idea. I also watched, um, shout out uh, Nando V Movies, um, X, casting the X-Men for the MCU video series that he's doing right now. And he posited a Professor X that I fell in love with immediately. Um, that is Matthew McFadden. Um, he is on Succession right now. He is He was in Pride and Prejudice. And he he's British. He looks like this, and like face alone, I was like, "Oh, that's a Professor X." That yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, vibes alone, I'm already like, "Oh, he could do this," and he seems like he could commit to years and years of being this character. Yeah. All right. Who did you have for Hank McCoy? Uh, for Hank McCoy, uh, I have. Andrew Matarazzo. He is a Brazilian American actor. Uh, he just, from this picture alone, he has the build of Hank McCoy. I want to see this picture. He's got the square face. He's got a wider bit, like a stronger build. That that looks like a Hank McCoy to me. Yeah, yeah. That's that's very much. I think with like Hank, you are casting on build alone. Yes, I I, I, think. I think you have to, like, and I, you can't because that's for me. I, I said this to you recently. For all the terrible things about the X Men, the Fox X Men films, there are certain things that I do love about it. Kelsey yes. Grammer as the Beast was a fucking inspired choice, and I stand by it. It's a revelation. It's so wild and so good, but he has that kind of like square, like we said, thumb build. For yes. me, Nicholas Holt doesn't have that as much. Like he's a slimmer person, and no, so he does for not. me, that takes it away. I I completely agree. With you. I think with Hank, you are casting on build alone, and especially with early Hank. Like, yes. forget the blue fur. I would like at least three or four movies where Beast is around but has no blue fur. I yeah. want him, like, full, like, person developing. And before, maybe he gets the blue fur eventually, maybe he just stays the way he is. So you're casting on build alone, and I have two also. The first okay. one, I suggested as a joke to you. <laughs> but the more I thought about it, the more I was like, oh, this actually works. Uh, Haley Joel Osment. It, I see it, yeah. Haley Joel Osment, again, from 
takes sense um, from a lot of things from Kingdom Hearts, if we want to go into that. Always. Um, but again, I'm citing this Nando V Movies video because it's such another inspired choice of Sam Richardson as Beast, which I think is incredible. Like, and he has said he wants to do it. Yeah. And I would completely be behind this because I think he's just, he would make such like a dynamic performer because he can do oh, yeah. the comedic, he can do the dramatic, he can do all of this. And we are in the middle of like a Sam Richard Richardson renaissance because he was just in that Werewolves Within movie. He was in the after party. Um, he is always good on my favorite sketch comedy show of all time. I think you should leave with Tim Robinson. Um, Detroiters, great. Uh, he's just wonderful. He is yeah. so good at what he does. And he just has the charming Hank vibe that I really want to see. Yeah. Yeah, I, he could definitely pull that off. I love him as a pick. Yeah, he's so good. All right, who's next? Uh, next. So I do want to say as well that a lot of this is just vibes. It's not even necessarily things I've like. These are not necessarily people I've seen their things in. It's just how they look and how I think that they would be able to like visually pull it off. Yes. Uh, next up, this one was an interesting one. Uh, a lot of these I tried to pull. Again, I tried to pull from like specifically within this like age range that I had set up. So both Professor X and Magneto are that mid thirties range or mid to late thirties. Uh, the kids I tried, I did age them up a little bit. I think I have Bobby's like eighteen or nineteen, the actor that I cast him as, but they're all like late teens, early twenties is uh, uh, where I put the the kids at. Um, but for Bobby, I chose Ty Tennant, David Tennant's son. Wait, David Tennant has a son? He does have a son. Oh Ty my Tennant. god. Uh, he's, I want to think he's 19 right now, uh, but I just, I'm like, he's young, he has that kind of like, almost surly teen look, where just like, he looks like he does not, like, I, just if you look up a couple pictures of him, he just looks like he constantly does not want to be there like a teenager, and I'm like, that feels like Bobby to me. <laughs> Tip, toe to tip, this is a Bobby. That's a Bobby. I <laughs> like he's um, even got the like messy brown, like light brown hair. Yeah. I think with, with this, I also so I went for like for the first class for the kids. I sort of went with like a late twenties, early to mid thirties vibe, mm -hmm. and like you know we might not see that, but I just I was like I like what these people can do, and I think they could pull this off. Um, I have. I have two. One of them is from the Native V Movies video, which was Justice Smith. Um, specific, specifically, Locked he was up. in yep, Detective Pikachu on mm -hmm. plenty of other things. He was great. He could do it. I think he really could pull yeah. it off. I My personal pick, I think, is Mike Feist, or Feist. He was in West Side Story recently. He was in Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway. Not the movie, thankfully. He was like... <laughs> he He saw that train wreck, and he was like, you know, I'm gonna go over to old Stevie Spielberg and be in <laughs> one of the best looking movies of 2021. What a good and choice. I think like he's, he's got the build, he's got the wit, he's got the charm. He, he, either of these actors could absolutely pull him off. A hundred percent. All right. Who do you have next? For Warren, I have Gage Monroe. He has the, almost like a, like, haughty's not the right word. And I, do, I don't, I mean that, like, H-A-U-G-H-T-Y. Like, 
he has this kind of like <laughs> it's Warren. Uh, and he has this rich kid demeanor to him. Like yeah. the picture that I sent, he just looks like like there's a bit of a cockiness to the expression, and I feel that 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 kind of fits Warren because he's that like you said he's that very charming, very suave type, and that's how this guy looks for me. Yeah. Um, for Warren, I only have one pick, and best pick, Death Patel. 100% I want this so bad. If they go with the idea of, like, and not, like, making them kids, but making them discover their powers, like, as younger adults, I think uh-huh. Dev, could, Dev could body a Warren oh, like, percent I think this is, like, the vibe you need for, like, Someone who gives off the air of being better than everyone else, but is really, like, can be down to earth and can really care when he when he needs to. Yes. For Jean Grey, uh, I have Sela uh, Austria. She's in Cobra Kai. Um, I feel that she would be a very good pick for that, like, She's she's got a beautiful face, but I, I like she. It, I it's like a quiet power that there is, like that's there, and that I think is very befitting of Jean because she's in this comic. Like she looks very kind of meek and mild mannered, but like don't test her; <laughs> she will and can put you in your place. Absolutely, I completely agree with this. I I also sort of ca- looked to cast someone who like can do both meek and shy, but also could kick your ass with a single thought. Uh, this was on a lot of the big lists that I saw. Um, Saoirse Ronan was was my pick for Jean Grey. Because, like, I think, looking at what she's done, it's an insane body of work with yeah. so many different angles and characters, and she could absolutely do this. And, like, I know it's the big thing to, like, pluck somebody out of, like, A24 land and put them in the big Marvel project. But she could do it, I think. Oh, yeah, no, I, I definitely can see that. Yeah. And, and then the big one himself. Who's your slimmers? Uh, my slimmers is... Uh, David Mazos from Gotham. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was like, he, was he young Bruce Wayne or? Okay, this looks like young Bruce Wayne. Yes, it, it, it's a very quiet intensity, and I think that that very much fits Scott because he's that stick in the mud type character who would be like scowling in the corner most of the time because the others are goofing off. Again, I, I feel like this one might be a bit too charming. I don't even need to send a picture because I think we all sort of know what he looks like. Um, I had Taron Edgerton, and I think yeah. he could pull it off, but I think also he might be a little too charming. Yeah. Like, Taron, I could almost argue, would be more of a Warren. Yeah. Ooh, that would also be really good. Yeah. Taron is Wolverine, though. Hey, but he's two decades. He's, he's a decade out. He's a decade out. We don't we don't yeah. talk about him yet. <laughs> um so 
Can I go first with my, or yeah. would you like to go first with your Magneto? No, 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 no. You, go, you go ahead for your Magneto. So I will, okay, I will save my bonkers choice for last. Okay. And then I'll, I'll do the normal one that everyone kind of wants, and I'll do, and then you can do yours, and then I'll do the choice that is so inspired to me. So both of it. these, both of my choices I got from that same Nando V Movies video, um, he ended up going with the safe choice pick that I have, um, Daniel J. Dan, uh, no, I'm sorry, not Daniel J. Jason Isaacs. Yes, Jason Isaacs as Magneto. Someone with such an intimidating presence and like that Shakespearean gravitas we were talking about. Yes. He is totally a good, solid pick. And who mm-hmm. did you have? Uh, I have. Uh, his name is Je- uh, Jeff Wilbush. Uh, he is a Jewish German actor. Uh, he yes. is in Netflix's Unorthodox. Uh, the picture that I sent, like, I, I was kind of on the fence for it. I definitely wanted a, Jer- a Jewish German actor uh, for yeah. Magneto, just because that's such a big part of him. And I, I was kind of on the fence because he has, like, he has a chameleon face. And what I mean by that is indifferent. Like, that, that sounds bad. And that's what I mean by that is that in different pictures of this actor, he looks like other actors. Like, there's a picture yeah. of him that looks like uh, Jared Padalecki. There's a picture of him where he looks like Paul Rudd. It's wild how, like, just from different angles, his face slightly changes and he looks like other actors. Uh, so th- that's what I mean when I say chameleon. Um, but I, I, the picture that I sent, though, he's got this very intense stare. He, uh, This blue turtleneck looks very nice. Uh, that was what sold me. And I'm like, that's my Magneto. This is it. This is absolutely it. I, too, for, like, my my choice that I am entirely behind, I was like, oh, all these sites and videos are saying, like, non-Jewish actors for this specifically Jewish character and whose Judaism, Judaism is so important to that character. And... And I was like, oh, I would hope that there is like there are like people who want like Jewish actors to play wow. this character. And then Nando V movies like toss throw away, toss this one out. And I was like, ooh, this is it. This is the one. This is my pick for Magneto. Sasha Baron Cohen. I can the, elaborate if you'd like. The thing is, I can see it. Yes. Yes. He's done like deeper roles. He's done good dramatic work recently. Yes. Like you everyone knows him as like the Borat guy. No, he can do good other good shit. It's yeah, I just think it's like a bonkers choice. It's completely out of left field, but he could pull off that threatening theatrical presence, I think percent he could all right now i'm going now you can do your bonkers list i will advise you to sort of go a little quick because my battery just flashed the very low on power sign Uh, so i am this episode will have to end soon for the sake of my laptop no worries this will be quick uh so my bonkers list i'm just pulling up the picture just real quick uh for my google doc of my notes um this list i this was actually the first list i built 
Okay. And the reason why is because when I cast things, I generally like to stick to the correct eras. And so this list is all actors of the 60s. That no were way. Of the age. No way. Or close to the age that I wanted. Uh, Magneto and um, uh, Professor X are a little older than I had wanted, but I loved the actor choices so much that oh I could God. not switch from them. I'm um, so, so excited. Starting at the top of the list is my personal favorite out of this entire casting is my man, Ricardo Montalban, as Professor X. Oh my god. Uh, moving down the line, this is where things, a couple, two of these in particular, I know you're going to go insane over, uh, but there is reasoning why. Uh, number two for Hank McCoy is Robert De Niro. Yes. Okay. Specifically 1963 Robert De Niro. Like, early De Niro would be a really good beast. Oh my god. Uh, for Bobby, I have... Uh, this one was a kind of fun casting. Uh, I have Tony Dow, who was on Leave it to Beaver as the older brother. My god, yeah! That, uh, 100% totally. that's a Bobby. That, that's, that's a Bobby. A Bobby. Uh, this one, I actually... Uh, I am very, in particular, proud of this one. Uh, not so much because of the actor, but just because of the look that this is a Scott, 100%. Uh, this is Ian Ogilvy as Scott Summers. Oh my god, yeah. Like, that's a Scott. That is a 1960s yeah. Scott. Yeah, okay. Uh, this is another one that I think is going to be funny, and again, it's specific. It has nothing to do with their later careers. It's specifically how they look in this era. Okay. Uh, for Warren, I have uh, Christopher Walken. <laughs> the image didn't load at first, so yeah. I had to click on the you link. Had to click the link. That's that's Warren. Is this what Christopher Walken looked like in the 60s? I'm in the 60s. What? You're For... right, but what? <laughs> For Jean Grey, I have Lee Taylor Young. I really liked this one a lot. Uh, oh, that's so... Yes. Like, like that's that's just Jean Grey as a, as a real-world person. Yes. And right. again, my last one for Magneto... Uh, Again, I stuck with a Jewish-German actor. Um, he was not at the time, he was later in um, Hogan's Heroes, is Werner Klemperer. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Okay. Bit of a character actor. Yep. That sternness to his face. Uh, very much perfect for Magneto. But all I of these watch. were active during the like early to late 60s with all of these pictures. I'd watch this. I would watch the hell out of this. I'd go back to this multiple times. Uh, for me, my favorite is Ricardo Montalban, because he is That's truly one of my favorites. So good. I'm so sad that my original my original frame of reference for him was the Grandpa and Spy Kids. I... But again, he bodied that role as the grandpa in Spy Kids. 100% he did. All right. This was Welcome to X-Month, everybody. 
this is what it's going to be like for the rest of May. I devoted my the entire month of my birthday to this, so we're we're going to do this. Um thank you Cena for joining me. Um this was very fun. This was great. I can't believe that's what Christopher Walken looked like in the 1960s. And uh remember everyone the miraculous Magneto practices proper letter writing etiquette. There Goodbye, it is. everybody. I took three takes to say that. <laughs>